ABC Radio. You are with Rod Quinn. This is the Overnights program. Let's cross now to the beautiful state, the great state of Boston, well, of Massachusetts and the city of Boston, where Celeste Katz Marston is with us. Celeste, good morning. Good morning. Now, Celeste, have you had both jabs, both vaccines, both doses, as it were? Yes, yes. I'm happy to say I have. You are part of, what, 150 million Americans or so? Yeah, that is uh, that is something that we continue to work on in the United States. But as you know, uh, the goal that was set by President Biden uh, for having uh, an even greater number of people fully vaccinated by July 4th, Independence Day, is not quite on track. Well, I've got to say, though, you know, 150 million in six months is pretty well done. Now, that's pretty good, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, certainly uh, the process for getting the shots is much more reasonable and streamlined now. At the beginning, it was uh, really kind of frantic trying to sign up for a place to get these shots and uh, figure out who was eligible and who was not and so on. But now we're seeing a lot of people, especially older people, vaccinated. Uh, now the issue in getting to our sort of next milestone is actually uh, a few certain groups, younger people, um, you know, certain states, uh, even members of the Republican Party, there are, there are some real disparities there. And on top of that, still some concern or hesitancy among uh, people of color about about getting the vaccine. And, uh, so still working on that. Yeah, we're still in Australia hoping to get to our first milestone, quite frankly. Uh, you know, we've got, what is it, 5% of the population or something like that has been uh, fully vaccinated? 5%. I mean, that's an embarrassment to everybody, frankly. I mean, considering we handled, for the most part, last year, the original part of the uh, pandemic pretty well compared with, say, the US or even the UK, we've really dropped the ball on this. I mean, are people attributing this to Joe Biden? I mean, because, you know, Trump set it up. He wanted everyone to do it. I don't know whether he did a particularly good job in the last three months of his term getting people vaccinated, but uh, is pe are people saying that Joe Biden is the person behind this and giving him uh, kudos for it? Uh, well, I think that, uh, you know, credit where credit is due, the um, the Trump administration did do a lot of work with Operation Warp Speed to develop the vaccine, to buy, uh, you know, to secure large uh lots of doses of vaccine before uh, there was even any federal approval and, you know, really getting them out to people, especially super vulnerable people like people in nursing homes, uh, frontline responders, healthcare workers, and so on. But, you know, things seem to have slowed down, uh, you know, even though in the United States, you know, tragically, we've had more than, I believe, 600,000 people yeah. die as a result of COVID-19. There are still groups that, um, you know, are just looking around and saying, well, you know, maybe it's not as bad as I thought. A lot of people are likely to know somebody who had COVID and they're still uh, alive and kicking, although we are now learning more about the, the long-term yeah, effects exactly. of, of COVID. But certain groups still kind of holding out, and that's what uh, the United States has been struggling with. The University of New South Wales in Sydney, in fact, is one of the world's leaders in looking at what's called long COVID, that people who might have got it a year ago were still suffering from it. So We'll hear more about that, I'm sure, once this whole thing shakes out. But, you know, one of the things is when people say, oh, you know, it's not as bad as, it, you know, I thought it would be, or people, you know, the like deaths and infections have dropped off, therefore I won't get 
vaccinated. The very reason that that happens is because people got vaccinated. I don't understand why people are then reluctant to do that themselves. Look, for for some people, I think there is a, a genuine, uh, well, there's apathy, of course. You know, it's you'd have to go there and get the vaccine, come back for the second dose. Some people just get one and then they give up or some people figure they're too busy. Some people are, are afraid of, of a vaccine that is so sure. newly developed and newly administered. And then there are some people who just think they're, uh, you know, invincible, that mm. they're not going to get sick or if they get sick, it's not a big deal. And unfortunately, hundreds mm. of thousands of people have found out different exactly but i mean i'm not putting you on the spot and asking you this but the death rate in 2021 compared with in 2020 is significantly less isn't it yeah i mean we are certainly uh you know between pardon me between vaccination between uh mitigation strategies people wearing masks social distancing uh the shutdowns that were put in place uh warmer weather people being outdoors more better ventilation uh you know better uh therapeutic treatments for people who do get sick um you know a lot of these things have contributed to to covid uh, the covid state of emergency being uh eased or lifted in a lot of places but it's still a threat especially when you consider new variants like the Delta variant and so on, um, that may be more more virulent, more contagious, people still have to be careful. I'm I'm very glad I got the vaccine and that mm. people in my family have been vaccinated, and certainly encourage everybody to do that. What about the uh, you know the second shot? Is it generally in the US you've got to get the same one as the last one? Like you get Pfizer shot and then another Pfizer. I mean, I don't even know that a lot of places in the US have the AstraZeneca, but you might get the Moderna. Are you allowed to mix and match or not? Typically what happens is when you sign up for the first shot, either at the moment you sign up or once the shot is in your arm, you are signed up to return to the same place to get a dose of the same uh, manufacturer's vaccine. In my case, it was Moderna. Um, and uh, I think typically there is there is not mixing. And there is some efficacy with just one shot, but definitely uh, the yeah. protection is, is better with two. So with Moderna, I think it's only 28 days between the first and the second. I got the AstraZeneca. I have to wait three months. That's still another month, four weeks or so, before I can get the second shot. It just, I think that's, you know, putting a lot of people off that they have to wait that long. Yeah, there are some people who are just going to forget, miss the appointment. And uh, if, if vaccine is scarce in certain places too, then, uh, you know, that makes a difference. Also, these vaccines, you know, some of them have a, a shelf life or they have to be stored under certain conditions. You know, there has been some waste, unfortunately, of, of vaccine. But um, uh, the shots that that a lot of people are getting here. Yeah, it was about uh, 28 days. And um, mm. the scheduling, once you actually got into the system, the scheduling was pretty smooth. And now they've announced pretty much in Australia that they won't even persist with the AstraZeneca beyond the end of this year, that I presume they're now in Australia at least are looking to fast-track the Moderna, at least give that permission or approval, and therefore that they'll be using that as well as the Pfizer Diane in Bondi, and Bondi is kind of a bit of a hot spot at the moment because we've had an outbreak. She wants to know, you know, why is AstraZeneca not being used in the US? Why didn't they use that one? Uh, there was, uh, you know, there may have been, again, there are some differences, and I'm not a, a 
you know, full on expert. But uh, I certainly know in the case of the Moderna vaccine, it can be stored at different temperatures. Uh, you know, the handling of certain vaccines is much uh, is much yeah. easier. Some of them have to be in extremely, extremely cold storage. Uh, as you mentioned, there is a difference between the, the window between the first dose and the second dose. Uh, as you know, we also did have a big, big production problem in the United States with the Johnson & Johnson single dose vaccine that really kind of screwed up that whole program yeah. with some uh, contamination and, and mishandling and so on. Uh, so yeah, the, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, I think, have been relatively uh, trouble-free in terms of the, the administration. Let's move to some other stories, shall we? So, uh, okay. six, yeah, six, oh, I mean, so many people, like everyone is thinking, oh my God, we just want it to be over. Uh, but will it be? You know, who knows? We'll be still talking about this uh, this time next year. Um, something that we will talk about now, I think it's been announced today that Nancy Pelosi wants to have a House inquiry into the riot at the Capitol of the 6th of January rather than leaving it up for the Senate, who are never going to get it done. Um, but at least people are starting to get charged and convicted of uh, what they did on that day. Yeah, that that was a very big deal. Uh, this week, um, a member or supposed alleged member of a group called the Oath Keepers, which is a far right group, um, pleaded guilty to some charges related to that uh, insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. And and that's a really big deal. You know, there's uh, there's been a lot of cases, you know, there's been arrests and charges and a lot of these cases are advancing. But this is the first guilty plea um, of, of any person charged in the big conspiracy cases. Uh, and, you know, it could be a, a really meaningful precedent in terms of going after these extremist groups. These were not just people that randomly showed up at the Capitol and started uh, acting up. These were people who plotted and planned and, you know, used, um, you know, military or paramilitary strategy, essentially, to to uh, engage in this in this violent behavior, which did result in people dying. These people are not the person who is um, uh, pleaded guilty. The charges were felonies, um, conspiracy and obstruction. These are not murder charges, but people did die uh, in and uh, following that insurrection. So this this is something that's going to play out for a long time. But this is this is sort of a big moment in actively going after the people who were involved in that that disaster. Yes, and, you know, hopefully when this inquiry gets underway, we'll find out that a lot of it was planned in advance. It wasn't just that they all turned up at a rally and Donald Trump or Michael Flynn said, you know, let's take back the government or whatever. Uh, they actually were planning. They had maps of what the um, capital was inside and they knew where people's offices were and all this was planned in advance. Now, of course, not all of them did that, but enough people did to make this more than just a riot, but actually uh, almost a planned coup. You know, one of the things that um, we often hear about in the US is the right of free speech. It's enshrined in the Constitution. It's one of the first things that, uh, yeah, I think it's the First Amendment. So it's one of the most important things. And a lot of us understand what free speech is, but sometimes I, it just goes bizarrely all the way to the Supreme Court with something that should have been handled at a local level. Why it went all the way to the Supreme Court, I don't know. This involves a cheerleader and her Snapchat profile. What happened? 
Yeah, basically, this was a, a, a young girl. She was 14 at the time. Uh, she was a high school student in uh, Pennsylvania, and she didn't meet the varsity cheerleading team, and she was mad about it. So she uh, she put something on her Snapchat account that was basically like, I won't say it on the radio, obviously, but used some uh, profanities to talk about uh, uh, cheerleading and softball and school and whatever. And as a result, she was kicked off the junior varsity cheerleading squad, um, and, uh, yeah, that was the form of punishment. So it became a, a free speech case. Was she entitled to give her opinion freely on her own time off the school grounds of what she thought of, of this whole situation? And it turns out it went all the way to the Supreme Court and, uh, she won. So Stephen Breyer, he wrote the, um, the opinion. It was an eight to one majority, by the way. So one of the um, the justices didn't think she had the right to say that. But why did they think that, or why did people think that she didn't have the right to express her opinion, given that it is so important to Americans? Yeah, it, you know, it's it's really interesting that uh, that there was this sort of distinction made by, as you said, one justice, uh, Justice Clarence Thomas. You know, it's uh, you know. I guess the question is, you know, schools maybe, you know, with children and, and schools, you know, is there sort of a greater power or a greater responsibility or both to uh, to exert some control over how students uh, speak and act? You know, do uh, not that, you know, kids aren't people or something, but, you know, uh, is there more oversight allowed and even warranted uh, when it comes to children, when it comes to students and how they uh, portray their schools or the people that are around them and so on? And in this case, they're saying, look, kids have the right to express themselves, especially when they are uh, off campus. Um, they can they can uh, share these opinions without fear of, of reprisal from from the authorities at their school. Because the Constitution doesn't say, you know, free speech is allowed except for school students. Any, like, I could have, my rights are guaranteed. As soon as I arrive in the United States, my right of free speech is guaranteed by the Constitution, even though I'm not an American. But I am allowed to do that. I mean, this, again, I don't know how much it's cost in legal fees, but, I mean, she's made her point. What's happened to this young woman, do we know? Yeah, I think she just, you know, she grew up and is uh, now a college student and, uh, you know, is doing okay, is happy she won this case. Uh, obviously, this is going on for a while. But I think, you know, the crux of this case is a lot of times in these, you know, free speech case, you look at, was there harm done? Because your right to free speech only extends sure. to the extent that it does not cause physical or material harm. You know, the classic example of yelling fire in a crowded theater is not protected free speech. But in this case, uh, the justices largely found that she was expressing an opinion. No one was harmed. She was doing it on her own time, uh, you know, representing herself. And that was OK. All righty. I wonder whether she's at uh, university doing a law degree at the moment. Uh, now, this, <laughs> this is a story that went around the world because... You just never hear about it happening, and that is the lobster diver in Cape Cod, off one of the most beautiful parts of the United States on the East Coast there. He says a humpback whale scooped him up, didn't swallow him, but in fact like coughed him up, spat him out. Now, what an incredible experience that was. I mean, this did happen, I presume. I mean, I know that there's a lot of talk about it, a lot of news about it. Are we absolutely certain that it did happen? 
I mean, the guy says it happened. People who were with him said say it happened. I think the important distinction is, yes, he was not swallowed per se by yeah. the whale. This is not like a, a full on Jonah, not Jonah story. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Out of the uh, out of the Bible. But apparently, uh, you know how how whales uh, gather their food, they open their mouths and they pull in a bunch of water and, and krill or whatever it is. I'm sorry, I'm not a marine biologist. I should have become one for the purposes of this <laughs> of this segment. Um, but apparently somehow he got in this whale's mouth for maybe like 30 or 40 seconds and then uh, the whale opened its mouth and got out whales don't eat things as big yeah. as people i don't think on a on a regular basis but yeah a lot of people don't believe it they say that it's preposterous it doesn't how could this what are the odds how could it happen this is not how whales function or mm. feed or anything but I mean, it's a bizarre bizarre story not not that far from here from where i'm sitting either I don't know that the whale knew there was a bloke there but the thing is just tied into that of course that the Lobster industry it was hugely important in New England, and lobster prices uh, for lobster rolls in particular have just gone through the roof along that coast there, haven't they? Yeah, they really have, and I can tell you that from personal experience. We were taking a drive uh, uh, along the coast. We did go out to, to Cape Cod and uh, thought it'd be fun to order a couple of lobster rolls. You know, the, the menu always just says market price because it fluctuates yeah. from day to day. And we ordered it, and then my husband said, oh, yeah, by the way, just out of curiosity, what is that going to cost? And it was $30 each. Oh, that's terrible. I mean, i got to say... <sighs> They see you coming sometimes. I mean, I've spent some time in Maine. It was the lobster there is, is sensational, but I had the most expensive lobster roll of my life forty dollars at a hotel in Japan. And again, I didn't know until after I'd eaten it, and it was pretty small. But they fly in lobster from Maine to Japan or to Tokyo every day. Uh, there's something about it that the the, uh, the Japanese love it. Celeste. There's so much more we could talk about. Well, we'll do that again in a couple of weeks' time. Thank you very much. Stay safe, stay well, and we'll talk to you then. Always a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you very much. That is Celeste Katzmarston in the United States.